privilege to be able to preach again this week, but I am uh, really looking forward to John starting his series next week in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, it's been a blessing to be able to preach, but also to support John and let him focus. He has just been diligently working, and uh, I'm excited to see what the next 10 weeks hold for us. Um, as I did last week, I wanted to continue on in a, in a focus in prayer. As I shared, uh, several of our groups have, have uh, as, as their point of study, have been focusing on prayer, and we've looked at a number of books. And I'll share this with you. I'm drawing from it heavily this morning. This is Ruben Torrey's book, How to Pray little book from first published in 1900. And uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, If you want to jumpstart your own study in prayer, um, there's a bunch of copies out there on the foyer, um, free to take. And uh, I hope uh, it's, it's a blessing to you. Well, this text um, that I'm going to be focusing on this morning is from Um, One verse from Jared's reading this morning on uh, uh, I am the true vine from John 15, 1 through 8. And it's wonderful imagery, isn't it? We have a, just outside of our door, one of the first things I ever planted at our home when we moved into it in 1998 uh, is a bower vine that climbs up over a trellis. And this thing is indomitable. It, it, it just goes everywhere. If I don't prune it on a regular basis, it, it would take over the whole front of the house. And what has always amazed me is like clockwork, um, this vine blossoms just about the second week of May every single year, these large blue blossoms. And to me, it's just a testimony of of God, his his fingerprint on his creation. But it's a wonderful picture, and and the Lord Jesus Christ uses that picture of a uh, vine and a branch to illustrate something incredibly important to us. So I've entitled this, Ask Whatever You Wish. I'm drawing from verse 7 that says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we might ask, is that promise true? Can we ask and the Lord will do whatever we wish? And what does that mean? Is this sort of the proverbial genie in the bottle? Is this the magic wand we've all been looking for? Or is it just a theological metaphor that probably doesn't have any real to it? Or is it a promise? Is it a a promise from God? I believe it is. And I believe it is a promise of limitless scope Indeed, it is within it, it is the whole secret of prayer, I believe, revealed. It tells us 
there is a way of asking for and getting precisely what we ask. And indeed, it details precisely what that way of asking is. And in case you're wondering, the promise isn't unique. There's many scriptures uh, throughout the Bible that have similar promises. John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16, 23 through 24, in that day you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. 1 John 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And finally, 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The promise is certain. The promise is repeated. And the promise is for his children. But it does list two conditions of the promise. The first one is, if you abide in me. This is a verb that means to stay to stay in a given place or state or relation, to continue to dwell, to endure, to remain. It's a beautiful picture of this vine and the branches. The the vine is ever connected to the branch. The branch indeed has no independent life of its own. The branch draws all of its nourishment from the vine. Every outcome of that branch is the result of the life flowing from the vine, every bud, leaf, and blossom. And our life, abiding in Christ, is a perfect picture of just that. In Christ, we renounce a life independent of him. We abandon our own thoughts, our own resolutions, our own goals. We look to Jesus to think his thoughts, to form our purposes, and to feel his emotions and his affections. To abide in Christ is really to receive from him an inflow of his life. And the result is our prayers begin to change. Our desires become Christ's. Our prayers come into harmony with the will of God. Our prayers in reality become those literally of Christ. You might call this praying in the spirit of God. Jude puts it this way. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Does this this abiding sound radical? 
In Christ, our thoughts are not our thoughts, but his thoughts. Our joys are his joys, not our joys. Our fruits are his fruits, not our own. This, this comes in stark contrast and conflict with our culture, particularly today, that worships at the altar of personal autonomy. We are masters of our own fate. We pursue our own desires. We find fulfillment in whatever we choose is fulfilling. This is not God's way. Paul spoke to the Philippian church, and he, he, he shared his own heart. He shared his own abandonment of his own way. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection. In these verses, Paul is, Paul is expressing his desire to be absolutely to absolutely abandon his own life and know the life of Christ. To abide in Christ, we must also understand we must be in Christ. And you all remember the story of Nicodemus in, in earlier in this Gospel of John chapter 3. Nicodemus had, had come to Jesus in the night and he began saying, teacher, we know you are a great teacher. You have done many signs. And Jesus just cuts him off. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is, there is a, a, a reality that the world does not see. And these promises are for those who are Christ and Christ alone. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again in chapter 8, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are in Christ through the acceptance of Jesus as our atoning Savior, Lord, and Master. Well, to, to abide in Christ or to continue in Christ, as we said, is simply to renounce a self-life. It is dying to ourselves and living to Christ. Paul says in Romans, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Think about that season in your life. Not when things were going well, 
and you were cruising along, maybe in particularly when things weren't going well, but you felt the nearness of God. You cried out for God. You truly felt satisfied in Jesus, spiritually fed. You had a love for the things of God, and they were your delight. You craved the presence of the Lord, and you could sense your desires were God's desires. Your passions were for God and for his eternal kingdom. That is a season that plums the depths of abiding in Christ. Look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what it is to abide in Christ. Well, the Lord gives two conditions for this amazing promise. And the second one is, and my words abide in you. So think about the same definition that we talked about of abide and apply those. To receive all we ask of the Lord, his word must abide in us. It must continue in us. It must dwell within us. We study it. We devour it. We meditate on it. We place it within our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, letting it shape our daily lives, our daily actions. And through his word, Jesus literally imparts himself to us. In Corinthians, Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And in the Gospel of John, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you feel powerless in prayer? Have you given up on true, persistent prayer? Could it be because we neglect the word of God? Just as we abide in Christ and draw our spiritual food from him, we must let his word abide in us. We must feed upon the word of God. I love how he puts it in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Jeremiah, your words were found, and I ate them, 
and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Tori says, prevailing prayer is almost an impossibility where there is a neglect of the study of the word of God. And it's not a, it's not a mere intellectual study. That's not enough. We have to meditate on it. We, we roll it over and over in our hearts. We wrestle with it. We consume it. Tory notes, speaking of George Mueller, one of the great men of prayer, that he would begin his time of prayer by reading and meditating upon God's word until out of the study of the word, prayer would begin to form itself in his heart. God himself became the author of his prayers. Do you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? The Holy Spirit works in concert and consistent with the Word of God. Commit to read and meditate on the Word of God daily and see what God does. Well, there's one last promise that I really want to pull from this whole section of text. And it ties in with this whole idea of a vine with branches and the purpose of it. It's a promise of fruitfulness. Why does the Lord give us a promise and encouragement like John 15, 7? Ask whatever you wish and I will grant it to you. Why does he give us that promise? And it's found in the very next verse. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This text, I am the true vine. One thing you have to note right off the bat, if he's the true vine, there's false vines, isn't there? And we can so easily attach ourselves to a false vine. These words were spoken the last night of Jesus' life on earth. In fact, this is right in the middle of five whole chapters in the Gospel of John, uh, all of which take place in one evening. Out of three years of ministry, almost a third of this Gospel is one night. Jesus gives this massive teaching concluding with his arrest, trial, and eventual death. The disciples' world is about to be turned upside down in a way they cannot comprehend. These principles of the vine and the branches is a picture to equip the disciples for the path of fruitfulness. Reality is God prunes our lives so that we bear fruit, doesn't he? It's not always easy to abide. We cannot bear fruit if we do not abide in him. If we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. That's another promise for us. 
Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That's another promise for us. If we do not ultimately abide in Jesus, he says, we actually never knew him. I was lost deep in thought the other day, giving my, ride, uh, uh, my daughter a ride home from dialysis. And uh, she just said, Dad, you, you seem pretty preoccupied. What's going on? I said, oh, I'm going to be preaching. <laughs> Takes me a lot of thought. And uh, I said, I'm going to be preaching on prayer, and it's just, it's just overwhelming to me. It's, it's, it, it's as big as God is. And just without prompting, she said, you know, Dad, when I pray, I ask that God would give me peace with the plan that he has for me. And that I would trust he would give me the strength to walk it. You know, <clears throat> this, this is a girl who at seven had leukemia, at eight, a bone marrow transplant, untold illnesses and diseases growing up, deleterious effects of uh, chemotherapy and, and radiation, by the time she was in her 20s, she had heart failure, liver cancer, kidney failure, a host of other things. She's dealing with a microvascular disease now. And she asks that God would give her peace with the path that he has put her on. And I just thought, that doesn't come from human thought. That comes from the work of the Holy Spirit working within the trials in our life to reveal himself to us so that we will trust him in the path that he gives us and that he is doing good no matter what our circumstances are. He promises all things work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Do you want to bear fruit for the glory of God? Ask him to cause you to abide in Jesus. Ask him to cause his word to abide in you. If you ask that prayer in truth, he will do it. For that is the will of God. This at its heart is sanctification. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, this is the will of God your sanctification. And that big word, sanctification, that just means being set aside, being made holy for God's purposes. Through it, he will change our desires, mold our thoughts, and align our hearts with his and our purposes become his purposes. Now we just need to act on the truth and believe his promises. Would you pray with me?
Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you that you promised to us that as we submit ourselves to you to allow your Holy Spirit and your word transform and change us, that you will give us the very minds of the very mind of Christ. Father, we will have your desires, your purposes. It is your kingdom that we pursue above all else. Father, may you accomplish this in our lives. May you accomplish this in our church, Father God. And we will give you the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.